Hi, everybody. Welcome to In the Key of D, using digital to transform your business. It's a show that explores why digital matters and how it helps entrepreneurs, business leaders, and digital and marketing professionals make their businesses better. I'm your host, Kathy Hollenhorst, President and CEO of Creatus, and joining me is my co-host, Gino Giovanelli, who is a leading digital marketing expert and an award-winning professor at the University of St. Thomas. In the Key of D is proudly sponsored by Creatus, the go-to digital marketing resourcing firm that helps companies across the Twin Cities get more work done. Creatus does that through a unique combination of solutions, including on-site staffing and outsourced project work in the Creatus studio. Well, welcome to today's episode, which will focus on the big picture around digital transformation, including digital strategy and business models, plus the extremely timely topic of economic reinvention. I really can't wait to hear more about that. Joining us today is Andrew Eklund. He's founder and CEO of Cicerone, uh, which was named by Adweek as one of the fastest growing digital agencies in the world in 2019. Andrew founded Cicerone 25 years ago and has spearheaded his company's commitment to fusing creative media and data into an interdisciplinary powerhouse. Cicerone helps clients become more open, innovative, and responsive to the world in which they compete. So, Gino, let's get this digital concert going in the key of D, because I know you and Andrew go way back. Actually, we do. I think Andrew and I have been working together probably for about 20 years, uh, going back to the Radisson days, if you will. And ironically, Andrew and I have played in a band together uh, for a number of years. Uh, He's quite the bass player. Hey, Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing just great. It's uh, one of those weeks again where it was Monday and then it was Friday. (laughs) Well, we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. What we'd like to do is get started uh, on fairly big picture. So, Andrew, why don't we start? You know, how do you define digital transformation? You know, it's interesting. I think about that a lot because I think that we look at uh, the topic really depending upon where our vantage point is. You know, there's sort of the IT focused way of systems and back office and and all of this. And then there's the real front end side, which is the consumer experience. And that's you know, largely where my career has, has sat. But the problem, of course, is that uh, if you are a consumer centric business, which all businesses really need to be, and I think desire to be, um, you can't have those verticals anymore. It just transcends across the entire environment. So I still remain very focused on the um, uh, on the sort of the front end of the business, but powered by the back end of it. And so when I think about digital transformation, really what I'm what I'm thinking about more than anything else and acting on is how do we help companies use all of these all this technology and all of the data, oftentimes at their own disposal, to frankly just be more responsive be more responsible and uh, faster um, in an environment that just uh, moves so fast. You know, the consumer is incredibly nomadic in their use of technology, in their loyalties and disloyalties to platforms. And, you know, it was nice uh, when I got my career started in the early 90s when there were, you know, two local newspapers, four local television stations, and, uh, you know, a handful of national magazines. And uh, and that was media planning, right? I mean, that was it. That's all you had to work with. And if it worked, uh, you knew maybe in six or 12 months. If it didn't work, you know, it was sort of 
off on to the next thing. And these days it's just unbelievably fragmented, unbelievably and unbelievably powerful. Uh, and so the brands that are really getting their heads around it, their processes around it and their investments correctly are realizing that they're competing at a whole different level than those that aren't. Yeah. It's interesting, Andrew, how you answered that question. We asked this question to everybody and we get yeah. different answers from everybody. And I think that that speaks to um, how complex this digital transformation world is. We often refer to it as the Rubik's Cube. You get one side figured out and then in doing so, you're messing up all the other sides and the need to look right. at, at it holistically. So it is quite the the endeavor. Uh, my follow-up question is, is what do you think is the most significant upside for companies that, that go through the effort uh, of undertaking digital transformation? Look, I don't want to sound radical, but it is uh, it's existential, um, oh. especially, I think, in 2020, as we look at the environments that we're all in right now. Uh, look, the, the global pandemic has done one thing, and it's done one thing very fast, and that is uh, essentially it's weeding out the companies that made the decision to do this um, either earlier or quickly versus those that haven't. And even when we're all done, whether that's three months from now or 18 months from now, I think you're going to see a very different landscape in terms of who survived and who didn't. And I absolutely fundamentally believe that those that survived were the ones that either started natively as sort of digital first brands or those that made the investment and moved in that direction. All of the data is essentially indicating that that's true. Um, it's going to be very difficult for those who have not made those investments or those commitments to essentially survive, mm -hmm. uh, I think, moving forward. Gotcha. Well, for the companies um, that, that can't get through this, what's the thing holding them back, in your opinion? Um, I think it's just a fundamental human understanding of how the world has changed. Um, you know, we all bring experience to our daily lives to how we lead. Um, and I think that there are those who have relied oftentimes on the, the expertise of the past and assuming that that's going to take them into the future versus leaders who are adaptive, who, are, who, who fundamentally understand that the world changes all the time. And what they excel at is leading through change and being able to adapt. Um, and I think that that's what you're really seeing. I think there's a certain amount of rigidity I think that there is, and you know, Gino, you and I have been doing this for a long mm -hmm. time, and there were just a lot of people who really didn't want to make the commitments because either A, they didn't think it was their primary um, place of business, and they're specifically talking about the internet and digital and, and in general, um, versus those that looked at it and said, I'm just going to eat their lunch. And I think that, uh, you know, over and over again, you know, if you look at, the companies that are high-performing companies, it, it, it's, it's the ones that have made that commitment and have been able to adapt and continuously adapt. So, Andrew, I do want to uh, get us into your concept around economic reinvention. But before mm -hmm. we do that, you know, I, I know our listeners just are fascinated for – Company, somebody like you who has started their company. So it was more than 20 years ago when you got Cicerone going. So mm -hmm. give us a little insight. What was your inspiration to, to start a digital firm way back then? Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, I was just a young guy. So I was, what, 26 or something like that. And uh, early in my career, I was involved in the digital um, 
well, sort of the graphic arts business, the mm-hmm. the, the old pre-press business that I don't even think ex- exists anymore. Yeah. Um, and when that was making its transformation to digital in the early 90s, I was involved in that in that industry. And um, I was actually on the trade association side. So I got a really great sort of vantage point. I didn't actually do any of the work. I was going to all the conferences and educating our members about what was happening. And so in that particular business, that was already a, a largely becoming sort of an Apple-based or Macintosh-based industry um, with Adobe and if you remember Quark and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I used to go out to I used to go out to San Francisco all the time, and so I spent a lot of time in the Bay Area, and um, and so I, I got to see some of the early, you know, early rumblings of the web and. You know, in 93, when Tim Berners-Lee uploaded the first Mosaic browser, I downloaded it that day. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, when Netscape came around and, and, and came out of the University of Illinois or Champaign-Urbana, I downloaded it that day. So, you know, it just was something that I just stuck with me. And in 95, I just realized that at that time, Minneapolis was the, I think, the sixth, fifth or sixth largest ad market in the country. And there weren't any digital only shops yet. And I didn't want to start one in San Francisco because I'd be one of a hundred at that point there. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like the right thing to do. And it's been just absolutely an amazing ride, really. Uh, It takes incredible patience though. Transformation does not happen quickly. We're still doing it 25 years later. Yeah, it it doesn't stop. And congratulations on your success. uh, I've been able to partner with you as I've led teams way back then when you were first getting started, which is very different. And and, uh, today, as you like you pointed out, it's very fragmented and powerful, but lots of moving parts in this digital world. So that's right. Yeah. You know, I, I was chuckling a little bit when you had reached out about digital transformation, because I think it was like 2001 or 2002, we changed our tagline to e business transformation. Oh. And and that was like in 2001, 2002. And uh, let me just tell you that that tagline didn't last very long. <laughs> there weren't a lot of businesses that were looking for top to bottom transformation at that point. Yeah, you're just, you know, as always, you were just a little bit ahead of your time. So it's helped many, many companies. But so let's get back to your idea around this idea of, of re- economic reinvention. Mm-hmm. And similar to businesses, all of us that had to go through it following 9-11, maybe after the 28 market. Uh, collapse. So um, talk to us about that. Tell us, what, you know, what do you mean by that? And, and uh, what does it mean for businesses today? Well, I will tell you that. So this is probably my fourth economic downturn and hopefully upturn. So it was dot-com crash, then it was post 9-11, and then 2008, 2009 crash, and, and now this. This is nothing like the previous ones. This was sudden and immediate. Um, and um, uh, really touched just everyone um, and is touching everyone. So while there are lots of lessons that we've learned, I think what we're doing, what we're seeing right now is just an absolute um, ice bath in terms of, <laughs> of what's happened. And so, but what we have found and what was really interesting is last August, I was in Lake Tahoe at one of the media post conferences and I um, gave a presentation there and I don't know how you feel about swearing on your on your show, but I, it was called Welcome to the Shit Show. <laughs> that was the name of my talk. You can beat that out later. Um, good, good title. Very apropos. Yeah. I think. And <laughs> it, it was 
Yeah, leave it in. Okay. And basically what it was, was we, I had this, and not just I, you know, economists and everybody, I just, I had this feeling that the market was just running too hot and that something was going to take, take it down in 2020. Um, it was just running too hot, too overvalued. Um, and then we, you know, the president started to get into sort of trade wars with China and without a real plan. And it just was, it started, it was starting to feel like a bit like a house of cards. Now, granted, nobody predicted, well, I shouldn't say nobody, people probably at who did, or, you know, Anthony Fauci probably predicted it, but you know, most of us in business did not predict a global pandemic, but what we are seeing is history repeating itself. And what I mean by that is that out of every one of those economic crashes or major economic events, what seems to rise out of the ashes or at least continue through the ashes for during all four of those have been in the, in the marketing and advertising world, uh, digital channels. So in the first one, I would say after .com, you know, e-commerce, early, early e-commerce was was absolutely a survivor out of that. And most certainly um, after the 9-11, it was Google AdWords, right? Um, meaning that when the economy came back, nobody shut down their search spending. They may have reduced it a little bit. They didn't shut it down because they knew fundamentally that people were not going to stop searching the Internet for what they were looking for. The second thing to come out of the first crash was email marketing and email automation. So, you know, that was around the time right afterwards when Exact Target started. And again, Gino and, you know, we know some of those guys. Oh, yeah. we're, we're lucky that they, you know, had some Minneapolis in, in addition to Indianapolis roads. Mm -hmm. You know, so and, they, and I subleased them office space out of Cicerone. So <laughs> oh, we got fun. a real front row seat to that. You know, so that became a, just a standard, right? And then out of 2008 and nine, the next transformation that was really a fascinating one that I think we need to pay attention to is out of that crash, what happened was that there was a massive amount of, of advertising inventory, spe specifically around display inventory, banner advertising and so on. And you had all of this excess inventory that nobody was buying and the mathematicians and the algorithmists decided, okay, well, let's go figure something out with that. We have all this inventory we can't sell. Let's build an auction system. And so that was really, wow. um, that was the birth of programmatic. And it was all because of an economic environment whereby nobody was buying advertising. They had excess inventory and excess time and they decided to put it into an auction system. Now, programmatic has fundamentally altered and changed forever the state of, of, of advertising because it has taught brands that they no longer need to buy programming or shows or a magazine. They can buy audiences. They can take their data and they can match it up against the data of the supply side right, the publishers and so forth, and buy only what they need when they need it. They can turn it on and they can turn it off. And so when we're, at, you know, in 2019, around August, you know, I sort of made this prediction that if something were to take, sort of take it down in 2020, I think what was going to happen was an, an immediate acceleration in programmatic video uh, and audio uh, and you know, streaming all the streaming sides uh, of that 
for the same reasons as 2008, there was going to be excess inventory of broadcast television, um, terrestrial radio, that sales teams are going to have a very difficult time getting brands to make those sort of long-term committed investments and brands were going to become much more nimble and only buy what they need. And lo and behold, that is exactly what's happened. I was going to ask you, Andrew, is that you know, what you are seeing? And you know, from, from a listener perspective, if they're running a business, how do they take advantage of that right now? Well, so once again, what they're doing is they're very, being very smart about the investments that they're making in marketing and advertising because, frankly, they don't have a lot of money. Right. I mean, they're just yeah. not there's not a lot of brands other than direct response advertisers. And frankly, those sort of brands that are looking at the economic conditions right now, meaning that the cost per thousand or audience data audiences are essentially quite inexpensive right now because of deflation and pricing. And they look at that and they say, wow, this is a great time for me to build my brand or build my transaction side of my engine for e-commerce and I can finally, you know, invest in some of these channels that I would never have looked at before, namely connected TV and radio, because I can buy it just like I've always bought search or I've purchased, you know, display advertising in the programmatic channels. And so you're seeing a huge uptick right now in the um, investments in connected TV uh, and some of those other streaming channels because of price and deflation so you have a you have the nimble brands playing in there and it's actually growing up but we're not at the point now where we're seeing price you would think then maybe that prices would be more expensive but they went down so far that really it's an investment strategy it's you know classic buy low sell high Mm -hmm. and it's we're in a buy low environment right now Andrew, help me because I think I got it, but say a little bit more. When you say connected TV, what do you mean by yep. that? So connected TV is anything that's really essentially streaming through the Internet to your to your television or to your laptops. So the Hulus of the world, your Apple TV, your smart TVs. Um, there's a whole world of acronyms, right? There's over-the-top <laughs> OTT, right? There's connected TV. There's addressable TV, and we won't go into that today because – I want to. Um, I don't want you to lose all your listeners. <laughs> that would be um, the whole rest of the podcast. <laughs> it would be, and it would bore them to death. Um, but essentially, what it means, and this is probably the most important part when we talk about transformation, is these channels give you the ability to buy media in a flexible manner in a non-contracted way. So you're not saying you're not doing like upfronts like in the television business and committing for a year of programming. You're just buying it as you need it in an auction-based system. Secondarily, and this is the most important part, is you are able to take your own data, first-party data, so all of your data about your customers and your audiences. You know what they want. You know what they buy. You know what channels they watch. um, You know what devices they use and any other sort of behavioral demographics, and you can layer that in into the platforms and match it against just those types of people. And that is very different. So, for example, if if the three of us were, were going to watch um, something this weekend on, uh, on Hulu, um, and maybe you're watching it via, um, you know, Comcast, and I'm watching it versus, you know, CenturyLink, and you're on some other device, and maybe one has a Roku, and another has an Apple TV, and another person has 
uh, set-top box of some sort. Because I have household data and I can match up against, we might be watching the same program, but you would get each of us would get a different ad. So that's very different than, as you can imagine, from the from the um, you know, for example, um, I would want to sell drums to Gino, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I don't want to sell drums to me. Well, I take that back. I would actually like more drums. But you can sell me golf clubs, by the way. So. Yeah, I'll sell you golf clubs, right? right and I'll good. sell me tennis rackets. So, and, and but we're all watching the same show, right? Right. And that is that is what is so absolutely powerful about you know about this particular landscape right now. Yeah, thank you. That was helpful. So, yeah. so uh, yeah. By the way, Guitar Center after thirty years has has finally figured out that I'm indeed a drummer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, so kudos to you guys. Um, so, Andrew, follow up question. Um, so, so kudos to these companies that have figured out a, a new way in these yeah. crisis kind of situations. What do you say to the companies that are uh, dipping their toe or, or starting to move into new ways of doing business while they are at the same time trying to stay open um, and do business as they used to do. It's almost like they're riding two horses at the same time. And how it, it's almost like two companies at, at, in, in the same, yeah. you know, but going after two different ways to go to business. So uh, what do you say to those folks in terms of how you manage your resources and your focus and priorities? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, um, this idea of starting two or having two companies, I don't think is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. Um, turning that giant ship around in Harbor is, is a massive undertaking. When you consider, for example, that you may have all sorts of legacy backend systems where all your data is mm -hmm. locked up someplace and inaccessible and, and all of that. And frankly, the talent that you may have on staff to manage those systems may not be able to be brought over into a newer, more nimble system. And the other thing that we always have to remember, of course, is that, you know, most of the platforms that the very nimble brands are using these days are all cloud-based. Mm -hmm. There's no on-premise software to, to manage, you know, they're putting together their own, cloud-based systems that are managed by third parties. Um, and of course there's integration issues and things like that, but the vendors generally speaking have that in their agreements to help you, you know, port data or normalize data and, and so forth. So I almost feel like if, if I were part of that business, if I were part of a, an old legacy business, which by the way, some people think I am, but uh, at least the old part, um, and I look at sort of the chicken wire and chewing gum that I got to work with from my back and said that worked perfectly well for the 20th century. And I look at trying to transform all that, or if I sort of stand up a skunk works to say, okay, let's try and start from, you know, let's just try and build a stack based upon best in class software. I think that's a very reasonable, uh, you know, potential way forward in a much faster way than trying to transform mm -hmm. the whole back office of the other system. But again, I'm not a systems integrator. I'm not an SAP guy. I, there are folks who know that so much better than I do, but I, my observation working with brands is that the ones that seem to have a kind of a skunk works mentality to it mm -hmm. seem to be able to get up and running a lot faster 
and then also provide to the other internal teams best case examples and internal success stories faster so that it doesn't feel like this daunting task. They can start to put, put some points on the board, get some wins, and show people what transformation actually looks like. And that's also going to get your executive team excited. Right. Because right now, all they look at are IT bills yeah. from very expensive consulting companies. And, you know, they're saying it's $50 million before you even make the first dime. That's a very difficult um, business proposition, unless the ROI models have been fully built out. Well, and particularly right now where all companies, big, small, are being thoughtful yeah. about their expenses and managing their cash flow actively to, to right. uh, be a good business. Let's assume one of our listeners, CEO of a smaller firm or runs a, a division, marketing uh, digital division, but they're in one of those companies that just doesn't have the foundational things in place. They just yeah. got... So two questions for you. One, is it too late for them to get started? And assuming it's not, you know, no. where where do they start? Um, uh, you know, they have to, it has to start with a CEO who's willing to give them some leash, mm-hmm. right. Or a management team that's willing to give them some leash and give them some time to fail. You know, we say that all the time. You read yeah. about it, you listen to podcasts about failure and all this kind of thing, but it's, it's fundamentally built into the, into innovation is failure. And so many, especially publicly traded companies, you know, failure is something that you have to report back to Wall Street. And that's and that's always sort of a difficult thing. So I think that you, you first of all have to have leash. You have to have permission to fail. You probably have to have a team of people who can work together across the consumer experience and across the IT experience to work collaboratively. And you have and that has to be a small team. You can't be hundreds of people. You know what I mean? It has to be a relatively nimble team that's like a like a Navy SEAL team to get this done. And then and then there's best practices to be built off it. You know, you were talking about, you know, the, is it too late? You know, I remember full well, and I know both of you remember full well, having to build out from scratch, you know, e-commerce platforms for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for clients. And now I can get a client stood up with a Shopify you know, account within days and they're doing full e-commerce. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? And that, that was something that, you know, 15 years ago was our bread and butter. And now it's essentially an account login setup and you're ready to go. You know, you look at Wix, right? Wix.com and, you know, websites. We don't build websites anymore. Very rarely do we build websites anymore. I mean, even WordPress, is a very robust platform. And Wix, you know, for a small business to get up and running, you know, you get Wix and Shopify. I mean, you're halfway to Amazon. You're ready to go, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I love what you said, too, about, you know, you need a small team, but you need a really experienced team. And so what I'm hearing you say is that you can get going very quickly with lower amounts of investment. But this is where companies like yours come in with Cicerone, because who I have on staff and how do I partner with third parties who are experts to do that in the best way is yeah. the good staffing strategy, because the time where you just load up your own team with a whole bunch of full-time equivalents, first of all, you're going to move too slow. And second of all, you can't possibly have all of that expertise on staff. Yeah. If this reminds me, uh, Andrew, of a concept we covered in a previous podcast about the 
Um, think big, start small, move fast. And that notion of yeah. having that Navy SEAL team that can get in there quickly, small number of people, this very nimble, uh, empowered to go quickly, uh, but not trying to do everything at once. Right. Um, I think that I think that's a really insightful way to move forward. You know, do you know if I can make a comment on that? You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is there is almost an incentive to stop inertia inside <laughs> a lot of big companies, meaning that a lot of engineering type folks who I love dearly and I'm jealous of their skills, um, oftentimes have been the gatekeepers towards change because they say they'll say. Okay, well, we know what you want to do, but do you understand that if you do that, it's going to break the system downstream here and it'll break it down over there. We can't take the orders in over here. And pretty soon people are like, this sounds like it's impossible. And <laughs> a lot of people who, and then of course there's, you know, people who will say, oh no, we can do it. It's just going to be a five-year project that's going to cost us millions. And now you have, you know, job longevity for forever. And so there's oftentimes incentives to try and fix the whole thing mm -hmm. because it's a giant IT project that will keep people employed forever. Right. And I don't yeah. think that that's the best way well, to go. I don't think we'll be here in five years. We'll be lucky to be around in five years, right? No, you and I'll be on tour, man. <laughs> That's right. I'll, I'll still be here, apparently. Um, you know, and Andrew, you know, you, meant, you mentioned in the big companies, but a lot of our listeners come from those small and medium-sized yeah. small entrepreneurs. And you know what? You get that same inertia in the smaller firms, maybe for different reasons. Maybe you don't have that big technical platform, but right, uh, right. same things apply. So, all right, we have a couple wrap-up questions, and we could talk forever, but, yeah. but now we are going to pivot – because we're going to our extremely entertaining part of our show that we call Rapid Fire. Okay. There's our music. So uh, Gino and I are going to ask you some quick questions, and you give us rapid fire answers. So if that works for you, Andrew, we will get started. Are you ready? I am. All right. Here we go. Rapid Fire with Andrew Eklund. So here's your first question. If you weren't a digital expert, what would you be? Oh, crap. Um... <laughs> I think um, I know this I, one. You, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I would love to be a touring musician. That would be amazing, <laughs> right? That's like number one. But secondarily, if I hadn't gotten into this, I really wish I had gotten into like urban architecture. Huh. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, urban design, urban architecture. I could, there's still there's still. Time. I could totally see that, Andrew. Um, oh, I just love it. Yeah. Uh, I bet. Okay, Mac or PC? Uh, Mac, all the way, forever. All right, Andrew, give us three words that you, you use to describe yourself. Um... Oh, geez. I was, you know, you can't say humble because now <laughs> sure you're you bragging. Can. No, um, you know, we'll go I, with humble. Yeah. I'm impatient. Uh -huh. Oftentimes I would say I'm, I'm impatient. Um, I, I, I have, uh, two tattoos on my body. One that says, uh, one is for empathy and one is for gratitude. And I have them right there on my forearm so I can see them all the time. And so I try and live by both of those. I think I fail at both of them every day, but I'll, I'll say, you know, great. I have a lot of gratitude and, and, I, and I try and lead with empathy. And you chose not to have impatience uh, written in your tattooed in your I'm, I'm in I'm in, Yeah, I want, I, but I have impatience to get there. There you go. There you great. go. Great. <laughs> uh, I think I know the answer to this one as well, but iPhone or Android? iPhone. All right. What, Andrew, is your most useless hidden talent? Oh my God! I have so many <laughs> useless talent. Oh, um, 
Okay, here's my useless talent. I think I know every crack and every angled line within the Skyway system of Minneapolis, having walked it for 25 years, that I literally can tell you where every crack is because I'm really OCD about how I walk. <laughs> and if you walk me down, if I walk, if you get, if I get on the Skyway by Target Field and you want it, and I can go down to U.S. Bank Stadium, I can tell you every angle on every crack of the Skyway <laughs> and every pattern. Uh, yeah, very. And that's the only, and that's the talent that only I can use. There you go. So not useless <laughs> to others, useful to you. Um, Correct. Okay, so Andrew, if you could be great at any musical instrument, which one would it be? I know this for sure. And well, I know this for sure. Um, I would love to be a better guitarist. Oh. I play guitar all the time, and I just um, I, I heard this great podcast with Ed O'Brien from Radiohead, and he finally gave himself permission to not have to be a good soloist like a like a shredder mm -hmm. on guitar, and it was like the most liberating thing for me. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't have to know how to do that. I can just be good at making sounds, there you go. but I wish I were a better guitar player and right. drummer. All right. And the final question, from your point of view, who is the absolute best band, other than Geno's, absolute best band of all time? Well, there, there are two answers, and I can't give you one. Oh. Everybody who knows me knows me that the greatest band of all time in the history of music is Fish. However... I watched two hours of Radiohead live and from São Paulo, Brazil, yesterday, mm -hmm. and I am also convinced that Radiohead is, in my my opinion, just some of the greatest composers and players of music, especially live anywhere. Excellent, thank you. Well, there you have it. That is Rapid Fire with Andrew Eklund. Andrew, unfortunately, you win absolutely nothing for playing our game, but it was a lot of fun, and we appreciate it. Good. I'll go. It, so. I'll go walk the cracks of uh, the Skyway system today. I want to so. come with you. Yeah. Okay. Good. Hey, Andrew. Before we let you yeah. go, we just have a couple wrap-up questions for you. Yeah. Uh, you are one of those people that I always go to to stay current on all things digital, whether it's your blog or, or podcast or speaking uh, when you're public speaking. Um, how do you stay current on all things digital? I read a lot of media posts and Digiday and Ad Age, Ad Week. Um, um, but yeah, I, I read a lot. And then I just have a staff of mine that are just mm. like crazy smart people. And so they educate me every single day. Um, I don't educate them much. Uh, really, in like in the world of digital media, those guys are so brilliant that I just, I, I ask them questions all day long. Unfortunately, we're all on Slack. And so if their green light's on, they're going to get something from me. <laughs> <laughs> and do us one thing, look into your crystal ball. Andrew, what do you think is the next big thing in the digital world that we should all be on the lookout for? I don't, I don't know if it's VR. There's one part of the answer. Mm -hmm. I, think the, I think VR we've been waiting for for a long time. I think it's really fascinating. I think that the, the next big thing is, and, and it already exists for some of our clients and other people in the market, but full stack, digital first marketing and advertising. Okay. I think that that is, that's where we're not only are, I think for some we're there, but I think that's, that is absolutely where we're headed. That's it's, um, it's just going to be everything is going to be able to be addressable and everything is you're going to be able to use your data and buy only what you need. And it has unbelievable power and economic power to do to do it the right way.
And I think, and I think that 2020, the recession of 2020 is, is the thing that will make that happen faster. I bet it will move fast. So why don't yeah. we plan? We'll have you come on nine to 12 months from now and we'll, we'll see. How <laughs> It'll all be going. different. Right? <laughs> it will all be yeah. different. That'll so. be great. Yeah, probably. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. This was uh, just exceptional. We really, really appreciate yeah, you Andrew, joining great us. Great to hear your voice again, uh, virtually. Uh, great to have you in the studio again. Hope to have you in a, in a music studio next time, too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Really nice talking with both of you. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Well, Gino, I don't know about you, but I have many notes, and that was just fascinating. And I've always loved Andrew because, as I said, you know, he's always been a little bit ahead of his time and so innovative and in, in pushing the envelope. So what, what, what were your key takeaways? Well, one of them, I have actually two. And the first one is just this notion that we think about COVID right now and something that's never happened before, and we've never seen anything like it. Now, granted, uh, it, it is very unique and, and it hits us on so many different fronts. But I love how he uh, framed it up that this is actually the fourth one uh, in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. We've had, we've had the dot-com crash. Uh, we've had 9-11. We've had the, the recession of 2008. And then yeah. we have today. So um, while companies are being forced to reinvent themselves on the fly, burn the ships, kind of move forward kind of stuff, um, you know, this happens. Uh, this happened, and this going to happen again. And it's not one of these one-time things. And just hold your nose and get through it. We have to figure out how to get used to getting through it uh, on a, on some what of a repeatable. Well, basis. and you would think for those of us that have been running businesses or running teams for a while during several of those changes in the economy, you think we would learn and be ready. So his. Right concept too that you know this time that we're in right now really is weeding out those companies who saw it coming and made some investments and getting some of this digital right. orientation in place versus those that don't but i love it because there's hope whether it's a small company yeah. or a big company or a medium size for our listeners who are out there is you know it's not too late get started now um, business is being right. transacted online Co commerce is moving more and more online and so just get started Get, get the right team, internal team and external right. resources to help you. Uh, and the technology and everything else is allowing us to, to buy things in, in small pieces. Uh, so you can right. get started fairly quickly as long as you surround yourself yep. with the right people. Yeah, he reinforced that, that need to start small and move fast like we talked about a couple podcasts ago. The other thing I love that he shared with us is this notion that, that leaders need to be adaptive and they need to see things for what they are and not... Um, kind of go status quo on this thing um, and to be real and to know that these are real changes that need to take place and be committed to those changes. The, the irony that we didn't even get into this with Andrew, but you know, his agency, Cicerone, I remember in the go-go days, that was over 100 people. And then I remember shortly thereafter, it got down to less than 20 and then it went big again. And so Andrew's leadership um, has, has, and his vision and is willing to be gutsy about it and to make those big changes. It's no fun bringing it down. It's, it's fun building a business. It's not much fun yeah. taking it down in size. Um, but that commitment that he had and, and the realist that he is to know that I, I can't keep doing business as usual when, when, the, when the marketplace is right. unusual. Well, and he's got that wonderful combination of that visionary and driving the business and his own personal passion to move it forward but also mm -hmm. really understands a practical side of how do you take this whole toolkit and apply it to your yep. business to make your business better. And you right. know, I've been around long enough and running marketing teams as well. When you think back on those large TV broadcast buys that you used to have to make 20 years ago were daunting right. because they were really expensive. Then right. you had, you know, 
lots of money that you had to put in the production. But in today's right. world, as he pointed out, uh, with that connected TV and others, you can buy media in a flexible manner and buy it right. as you need it using your own data. So we can just do things right. a lot more intelligently today with a lot more impact at a much smaller cost. And that's so significant. I don't care if you're in a big company or a small company. So you have to get right. started. You know, it's possible to do that. Yeah, and I, and I think the the last takeaway is I I'm going to encourage Andrew to get the word impatient tattooed <laughs> into his arm because I think that is what makes him a good leader is that uh, he he demands uh, things happen quickly and and to move as move with him as quickly as he's moving yeah. us uh, and and I think that's a good that's a good quality I, we always think about impatient as a bad quality I think it's a good it's a good quality in a leader sometimes when they're when they won't rest with the status yeah. quo. Very much. Well, another great episode and just really, really exciting content. And uh, so thanks for being being with me on this journey, Gina. It was great. Absolutely, Kathy. Every one of these is a, is a fun experience. I'm learning so much doing this. Thanks for joining us for this episode of In the Key of D, using digital to transform your business. I'm your host, Kathy Hollenhorst. And I'm your co-host, Gino Giovanelli. And again, we would like to thank our sponsor, Creatus, who is making this and every episode of In the Key of D possible. To learn more, go to our website, creatus.com. That's C-R-E-A-T-I-S dot com forward slash podcast. And if you liked today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to In the Key of D and tell your friends. You can subscribe on any major podcast platform. Thanks for listening to In the Key of D. And now for the encore. Hold your applause, please. We can't leave without thanking the rest of our band who helped make this podcast really sing. Keeping us in the right key is rock and roll producer, musical polyglot, and recording wizard Tom Forletti. All right, it's Forletti, but whatever. Helping us harmonize the web and digital elements is our content and marketing troubadour, Seth Conover. Our podcast coordinating conductor is Christina Seeger. Our theme song is written and performed by Marco Giovanelli, which is played unsurprisingly, in the key of D. And last but not least, thanks to my partner in crime who's been helping me make music for more than 20 years, Gino Giovanelli. And I'm Kathy Hollenhorst. Thanks for listening. <laughs>